back in uh, the beginning of 2018, in uh, January 2018, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to go to a place called Kana in Madhya Pradesh, which is in sort of central, slightly um, slightly northern India. It's not really northern India, but it's kind of north of centre of India and photograph tigers. And this came about through um, some photographer, fr- photographer friends. And um, one of them was looking at setting up trips to Kana to photograph tigers for photographers and essentially wanted a few photographers to go go out and kind of dry run the whole thing. So I was very lucky to have that opportunity and obviously just leapt at the uh, the chance to go. Um, I've been to India once before and um, it, it's, it's an amazing place. It's absolutely beautiful. Love the people as well. Uh, hate the bureaucracy. <laughs> Getting in and out of the airport is generally an absolute nightmare and uh, uh, I loathe all of that stuff. But the rest of it is fantastic. So Kana is, um, first of all, an amazing place. And one of the things they've done, and there is a video, if you actually, I guess Google it, so I think it's on YouTube, but if you look for um, Kana Tiger Reserve or Kana National Park is actually what it's now known as, there is a video on there and it talks about how they, the conservation methods they're using. Now, tigers are one of those animals that have been brought to the brink of extinction. And there are, I think, nine subspecies, three of which are now extinct. And um, a couple of others are functionally extinct, as in they're no longer, there's no longer a wild population, if you like, or a sustainable wild population. The animals that are left are actually in captivity. So it's a pretty bad situation. And the tigers that we were looking at were Bengal tigers, which are the biggest ones, I think, that you will find. And they probably have the ro- most robust population as well out of all the subspecies. And that's partly due to the efforts of um, setups like Kana, which is just amazing. Uh, so if you can find this video, they, they talk a little bit about what they do. And they've what they've done is they've very much integrated the tiger part with the local population. So many, many people in the local villages that are all around the park. And bear in mind, this is all open. There isn't um, a, fee- a you know fence as such around the whole park because it's, it's huge. Um, they work or do something related to the tiger reserves. So they have a vested interest in the reserve because it gives them money to allow them to live, to do the things, at least to some extent, what they want to do. And tigers are one of those animals that are poached by the sort of less educated. I'm going to be politically correct about all of this stuff, but um, there's an awful lot of nonsense goes on about what you can do with bits of tiger. And I think the whole thing is, and the the sort of less kind of nonsensical part of it, which pure trophy hunting, which, which is personally I find quite offensive, but that's just me. So this sort of ridiculous situation that, that, as, as a species we've created, has really put these animals under a huge uh, threat. In fact, I read, um, I was doing some research a little bit after that trip. There are, I think at the times, so this would have been in um, 2018 or 19, there were thought to be between five and 6,000 tigers of any species left in the world. Now, okay, what does five to 6,000 mean? Well, that's obviously not very, not very much, uh, but you could fit them all inside a football stadium. That, so that might help to visualize just what that number means so as you can imagine that's a really small number and their numbers um between that sort of time and the beginning of the 20th century that that's something like a reduction of around i believe 90 95 percent 
of what their numbers were back then before, you know, we really got some oomph behind our expansion, as in human beings and um, destruction of habitat, hunting, all of these things that were going on. It just it just ramped up to a ridiculous point. So Kana really looks after the habitat. They really look after the tigers. And the people in the local villages are also involved in looking after. Some of them are employed as guides. Some of them are employed in the different hotels and lodges that are around there. Um, there's all sort of work. So there's, there's this massive focus on making the whole thing sustainable. But sustainable so that it, it doesn't cost the local people. Because um, So I'm going to harp on a tiny bit about <laughs> one of my things about conservation. It's very easy for us who aren't living with it to say, well, you should protect elephants and you should protect tigers or whatever it is. But if you, but we're not living with it and we're not living with them day to day. And one of the things I have found by visiting these places is that um, some animals are very destructive. Things like elephants are very destructive. Things like tigers will hunt domestic animals if they can't get what they would normally eat. And in fact, some farmers will put out poisoned meat to kill things like tigers and lions um, to stop them predating on their own food source. So you kind of got to have you got to have a realistic view of it and understand that the people who live with these animals are often in the kind of poorer groups so often it's they're pretty much sustaining themselves and that's it so before we get too carried away and too um i don't know on a high high horse about it just bear in mind that whatever we do in, to protect these animals has to work for the local people too so that's that's me harping on about that and I'll stop that now and carry on with talking about the tigers so um just it's an idea of how you get to Kana. it's um so we flew in i flew into mumbai and then had to get an internal flight across to nagpur um can't remember how long i think it was a few hours it was an overnight so i was pretty tired um although it was an indian family wanting to travel together and one of them had a seat in first class in this little i can't remember what we were in i think it might have been a dash eight or something it was a small aircraft um so the, the the short version of that story is in order that they could sit together, I just got bumped up to first class and this chap went back with his family. So all good from my perspective. And um, yeah, so we got to Nagpur and then we were picked up by um, a, a guy who'd organised it, had organised the driver for us to come and pick us up. And then we had pretty much a straight, I think it was four to five hour drive um, on roads of different natures. So coming out of, Nagpur was a reasonable sized city so we came out of that. Um, we were on a kind of highway for a while, which was really good. And then gradually the, goes, the, the roads got rougher. Um, there's a lot of industry around as well. So we've seen all of that stuff. So there's quite a lot to see when you go to India anyway, and not just the, um, excuse me, the sort of the stuff you really think of, the touristy stuff. It's quite interesting. I always find it interesting to look at how local people live so there's a lot of um, when we're going through towns a lot of stores very very busy places lots of mopeds um, all that kind of thing as you might imagine and um, finally we were sort of semi-off-road getting down to the um, actual hotel and the entrance to Kana and we were at the I think it was the Kana gate we a hotel was probably literally 200 meters from the gate slightly longer maybe 400 no more than four so we could walk down there in 10 minutes or so it wasn't a massive um, walk. <clears throat> so we arrived on um, Wednesday, on, on the Wednesday, just after lunch. And um, I have to say, the, the hotel, it was a lovely little hotel, very small, um, not, I think probably 20 rooms, something like that. 
Um, slightly scruffy looking, to be honest. It definitely needed a bit of a refurb. But having said that, the people were just so amazing and caring and just wanting to look after us. I, I actually put on weight, which is not something you often say uh, when you go to India, or it's been my second trip. <laughs> I know what the pitfalls are, but I actually put on weight and it was mostly eating vegetarian food, um, curries, but just the most amazing food. And I often, at the end of the meal, thought I was going to burst. Um, but just but wonderful people. So I do, I, I do have a massive place in my heart for India. It's just an amazing place. So we were at the hotel and we had, when I was showing the vehicles though, I was somewhat taken aback because when I've been to Africa, um, or at least up until that point, since then I've been in open vehicles in Africa, but uh, previously I'd been to, most recently in Tanzania, the, the, the year before, and um, it was like being in a regular Land Cruiser or something, you know, you've got doors that actually have metal in them and windows and a roof. Um, we were in these little things that looked like rebadged Suzuki's with an extra kind of row of seats on the back, but completely open. Uh, no side protection at all, no roof. So we were really open. And um, I know last time I looked, Tigers were pretty big. So uh, that got me thinking about that. But there you go. I, mean, I was kind of thinking, well, if someone, if people were regularly getting eaten by Tigers um, on these kind of trips, I'm pretty sure it would have made Facebook or something. So I kind of used that as my, um, <clears throat> if I was feeling a bit nervous about it, I'd think back on that and calm myself down a bit. So um, the the small Suzuki's were the, the way to go. And the, just to give you an idea, there was, so they obviously have a driver in front and a guide in front. Then there was um, a row behind those two but it was really only wide enough for two people and another row behind them so you could get six in the vehicle and the one at the back was higher so, so you got slightly higher um so that was it so the the drill though um kana is used by um a lot of people there are lots of these reserves around now the one piece of advice i would give you if you're going to go and look for tigers is don't go reserve hopping because I know people who've done this. They've got a. They're doing one of these tours around India, and they go to two or three different tiger reserves. But they're only there for a day or so at each one. Well, the first thing is you're not going to see tigers every trip. That's for sure. And it's quite possible if you jump around like that, you're not going to see tigers at all. Uh, we did. I think it was 17 trips into the reserve, and the sort of 10 days I was there, and we saw tigers. I'd say maybe on um nine maybe nine of those trips so we definitely had you know reasonable proportion where we didn't see any tigers at all and i think we did pretty well um there are ways of knowing when tigers are about but one way of knowing they're not about is when you see the elephants which uh so the the rangers use these um indian elephants obviously and they use them to sort of travel around the park and just keep an eye on what's going on but tigers do not like elephants at all and if there's an elephant in the area, the tiger is generally going to be some some fair distance away. So if you spot an elephant, you can almost be guaranteed to not see a tiger. So um, so our drill was to get up at 5 a.m. or thereabouts. We'd go down to the little um, restaurant area and get um, a hot drink and um, maybe something to get us started. But we take actually a little lunch or a sort of pre-mid-morning um, snack, I guess that we take with us. And the reason we were getting up early like that was that the guy who was organising it came with us. We actually had two vehicles and um, he wanted to make sure we were right at the front of the queue for when the gates opened. I think it was seven o'clock. 
So we would be up really early, just drive, you know, literally 400 meters or whatever it was to the gate, and but, but be pretty much first in line. And um, then we would be good to go. And the other thing, if you do go, to always remember is to take your passport or your registered ID because you have to register um, <clears throat> a particular identification document to get entry to the park. That's checked on every entry. If you don't have your document with you, if you leave your passport in your hotel room, you are not going into the park until you go get it or you know something else happens. So that was almost sort of written on the back of my hand to make sure whatever else happened, I had my passport with me. Um, so that was sort of one of the tips to just get to the front of the queue. And there's a good reason for that because it would get pretty busy. And as soon as the gates were open and they're letting people through, um, you would then head off to one of the zones. And there were f- uh, three or four zones in Kana. And some, there's, so one of them was really next to the gate. Another, you'd have to drive maybe half an hour, 40 minutes to get to where you were going to go. And you really wanted to be ahead of the group because some vehicles would sort of stop every few hundred yards and look at something or there might be these big big buses the the sort of big tourist buses that i guess for the people who can't afford the the you know the smaller vehicles but you really don't want to get stuck behind one of those things because you know these are not massive tracks you're talking about you've got to drive around so that was the tip and also they throw up quite a lot of dust now this was january um one of the people i was with said that it would be cold to so take lots of clothing but um I used to, I knew her from going whale watching and uh, she was always cold. So I sort of semi-ignored her and I was absolutely freezing, I have to say. So, um, in fact, on the first day, because they had marble on the floors in the hotel, which obviously brought the temperatures down in the heat, but you can imagine in winter, it was absolutely freezing. So the first night I remember getting down to a sort of t-shirt and shorts that I was wearing in bed. Within 20 minutes, I was wearing all my clothes again <laughs> to just try and get warm. But they did put heaters in the room for us, but... Uh, it was pretty cold first thing, but you had these amazing cold misty mornings as well. So they were, you know, with the sun coming up. So that was a, a real bonus from a photography standpoint. Um, the how do you find tigers? Well, one of the reasons I say don't bounce around the um, different reserves if you're going to do that is that local guides kind of have an idea where they've been seen. So they'll generally know, but not always, as, as you can tell from my score, if you like, it was definitely not 100 percent. But you've got a better chance of finding them. Now, you may get that depending on the guide you get when you bounce around. Um, but I, I know people who have done that and they generally they have the stories haven't been that great. So I would recommend trying to spend longer in one place, even if the hotel isn't as great or other things, you know, just put up with it and find a way to amuse yourself on your down hours because you're really there to go and experience these amazing animals and get close to them. And we were lucky because on our very first morning, we actually saw one. Um, in this sort of long this field, this sort of open area of long grass. And we'd seen some of these large deer looking a bit skittish. And in fact, they will make an alarm call. It sounds like a bark, but that's one of the ways you know there's a lion about. But there was a, a lion kind of... Tra- a, a lion, sorry about that. A tiger. <laughs> it's in the wrong country. Oh, there are lions in India. Um, there you go. Um, there was a tiger in the long grass and it was kind of working its way around and seeing what was there. And we parked up and we were watching it and it came towards us and eventually came out through this wooded area. I mean, this must have been 20, 30 minutes we were there. It was quite a long time for it to come round. And walked right across the road in front of us. And in fact, right next to, I've got a photograph of it looking in this little open car, just the same as ours, at these, you know, Indian chaps who were taking pictures and I know if it was me, I, I would have been slightly stressed. 
<laughs> but the, the the tiger was just there and they are very big so um yeah but very not interested in us at all and later on i started you know got more confident i'd be doing the wrong thing and hanging out of the car to get a good shot which you're really not supposed to do but there you go i'm not always the brightest person in the room so uh so there you go so what else about the um trip the way we did it we would get out as i said we'd be in the reserve at about seven we would be out again by midday so and then there were closes it was closed for lunch from midday till two so we would just go back to the hotel we'd be pretty dusty and that was one thing and i was always keeping my camera under cover under either under a blanket um i didn't have i hadn't got the aqua cover that i have now that i've used since then but that was one of the reasons i got it uh, because it's very easy to get dust. It's very, very fine, fine dust and it will get everywhere. And I had that problem in Tanzania the previous year. So um, we get back. I'd down, get all of my pictures off my camera and onto my laptop. And also had a small hard drive, um, external hard drive that I used as backup as well. I'd just have a look through Photoshop. We'd have some lunch, which was absolutely lovely. Uh, there was a little swimming pool at the hotel, but far too cold for me to use. Although it was quite nice during the middle of the day. It was actually quite warm and got quite hot in the afternoon then we'd be back at the um the gate for two o'clock so again we'd leave early and then be out again till four or five o'clock and then we'd be out again uh, you know because by then it's getting to dusk and the light's not so good and bearing in mind this is forest this is the area where rudyard kipling wrote the jungle book he was inspired by that whole area and the animals to write the the jungle book so I'm not sure what, to me, jungle is more tropical rainforest. That to me is a jungle, but this to me is forest. What we, the, the kind of environment we were in was like a heavy forest. It's like the new forest in England. It reminded me of that. Um, in fact, because the peacocks are native to India, and um, if, if you're English or you've been to England, you've probably seen peacocks around different places. That was one of the things from the days of the Raj and all of that stuff. Um, it was almost like being back in England. It was, it was quite an odd sensation. And um, I probably won't say too much more about it, but I think they're the, the key points uh, that I, I wanted to make about going and photographing tigers. I mean, they are absolutely amazing animals, and uh, I'm really pleased that there is, uh, at least in some areas, a, a gradual recovery of their numbers. And if we can keep that going and just not encroach on their area and, you know, the whole conservation thing, basically, that's really good news. And it means that generations to come will be able to to go and have the kind of experience that I was lucky enough to have in India and I hope to have again. And um, one of the things I'd love to do is to set things up so that we can, you know, I can take people out to India and photograph tigers. So that's kind of on my uh, sort of plan, if you like, if, um, you know, once the business gets more um, solid, that's definitely there. Um, Kana is one of those projects I'd love to support financially as well. It's just a question of uh, having the money to do it. So there you go. I hope you found that very interesting. Um, I'm always happy to talk about these kind of trips. And if you've got questions, please send me a message and I'll speak to you again on another podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So 
there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.